This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But I, the fact is, a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially as you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing? In order, you know, that that would make it better. Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is, is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or they, it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined... You can truly experience those, too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This is iFanboy Special Edition, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket I. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Well, the names have all changed since you hung around, but those dreams have remained and they've turned around. Hello, welcome to my fanboy's special edition, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I am joined by Paul Montgomery. Hello. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk about the latest Marvel Studios film, the kickoff to Phase 5 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. This was directed by Peyton Reed, written by Jeff Loveness, his first feature film screenplay, mm-hmm. writer from comedy, from comics. Uh, Rick and Morty seems to be his bit, and, um, and award shows. Yeah. And stars, of course, Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and then we'll get to the new additions to the cast. I think those are the only returning players. Even even Cassie was played by a new actress. Is the, uh, um, what's his face, the, um, the S.H.I.E.L.D. guy? Made a little cameo. Oh, right. Magic. Yes, yes. Randall Park made a cameo. Yes. But everything else is is new. As we dive into the quantum realm, there'll be spoilers in this conversation. If you have, for some reason, not seen the movie and are listening to this, you know, I would suggest pausing and coming back because things are spoilery. So let's just kick into it. First of all, you know, after, an ent- after a whole year of award season films mm-hmm. tipping the three-hour mark, this was a brisk two hours. <laughs> and I was... yeah. Very happy about that. 
Uh, even the last couple of like Marvel films have been pretty long, like Doctor Strange and Spider Man. That is true. Yeah, Wakanda Forever, and I was just like, "Ooh, two hours." So uh, it's funny because going into this, I was walking in the theater. I was like, "I have no earthly recollection of the last Iron Man film, like the plot of it. I remember vaguely things about it, but it, it, it ultimately didn't matter really." But I just was like, "Well, what happened in that last?" This movie? is yeah. This is more of a like a sequel to like Infinity War and Endgame yeah. or Endgame, really. Because yeah, and it was also interesting to think. I was I was I had this thought in the middle of the movie where you know the, the original Ant Man film, which I think we we all pretty much really enjoyed yeah it was so small and that's a pun i don't think, <laughs> i know you're the king of the puns but it it was such a small heist movie and this is just like this is a huge movie and so it was just interesting to see that the progression this character has taken uh from where they used they used ant-man and paul rudd himself to sort of be the sort of goofy off kilter side of the marvel universe and here it's just like straight up um, cosmic yeah, he, and he adventure. was he was like the the comedic relief in uh, Civil War. Yeah, brought levity to a lot of things, and then like I think Endgame, they're they're like, hey, what what if this like you know every man kind of character, the the heist guy, the comedy guy, ended up being sort of the catalyst for saving the day in the right. end, which is a neat idea, and I think that really worked there. Yeah. So the brief plot here is that. After the events of Endgame, basically, you know, Scott Lang's a celebrity. He's written a book, which you can buy for real. Yep. No one around town in San Francisco. Everyone knows his name. High fives him on the street. And his daughter, Cassie's grown up now. She looks like she's probably like 18 or so. And she's an activist troublemaker. She's got to get bailed out of jail for a, a protest. And back at home with his girlfriend, Hope's parents, Hank Pym and uh, Janet. Janet Van Dyne, played by Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer. We find out that Hank and Cassie have built this machine that maps the quantum realm, and that by doing that, it sends a signal down there, and it which freaks Janet out because there's something down there that she does not want to come out, and that leads to them getting sucked into the quantum realm and having to face off against Kang the Conqueror, which is the thing she did not want to escape the quantum realm. Yeah, and it's and it starts off with this very light feel, and it's like such a like family adventure like. Yep. Old school Disney vibes to it of like like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids kind of yeah. situation. And they set up right off the bat that it's about, you know, Scott having missed out on his daughter growing up because he was trapped in the – well, he didn't experience the quantum realm for much of a long time. Right. When he came up, all, all this time had passed, but for him, it was a blink of an eye. And it's, you know, that – that metaphor of missing out on your kid's childhood or it going too fast, kids growing up too fast. Right. And they set up this very cute thing of she's got the suit. It's she's got her own color, it's purple, but then also she's got the chucks with the suit. And um, they set up this really fun, lighthearted adventure movie tone. And then Kang shows up and yeah. that stuff is very heavy. Yeah. So there's sort of a there, there's this I don't know sort of tug of war in this movie I felt between I've I've never seen like I've never sat down with a Spy Kids movie mm -hmm. but I imagine that a lot of the all ages stuff in here the non Kang stuff right like feel like Modoc I think George <laughs> Lopez even has a character that's very much in that vein in yeah. the Spy Kids movies from what I've I've seen but then there's this like 
you know they're setting up that this sort of the stakes of this movie, not just the the story, the plot of the movie itself, but the stakes of what this means for the overall MCU is we're setting up Kang because we know down the line that's going to be the big bad for the Avengers movie. This is the new Thanos. Right. So the stakes of this movie are how big of a threat is Kang? So that's something that this movie has to answer for. Which is interesting because it's the totally opposite of way they did it with Thanos, where Thanos was just a a person in the background who was coming. We mm-hmm. only saw him in the post-credit sequences. We never really saw him do anything until we saw him for the first time fighting the Avengers. Here, we've we've already spent time with a version of Kang on the Loki show, and now we, you know, see a whole film with him as a bad guy. So I, I found myself thinking during it, it's like, well, they have to defeat him while not defeating him. Right. Or they have to defeat him while still presenting him as a threat. Like, if Ant-Man can beat him, then what's, you know, what's the point? Of him. But I thought they did a really good job of showing why Kang um, is a big threat. I love Jonathan Majors. He's a terrific actor. He's one of those guys who is you you can't take your eyes off of. Mm -hmm. And I was a little worried going in because, you know, the Marvel comics have a great deal of terrific villains who are bombastic and pompous and arrogant. Dr. Doom and Namor and Kang. And... They basically removed that part of Namor for Wakanda forever. It wasn't Kang in Loki. It was, he was a, basically a, a version of a, a Mortis, but he wasn't like that either. And so I was like, oh, no, because one of the best parts of Kang is that he's just so over-the-top arrogant about himself. And this wasn't quite that version, but he was close enough where by the end of it, I was really enjoying uh, Kang as a character. And then the you know one of the credit sequences shows that there's, that there's not even, you know, we haven't even scratched the surface of what Kang could be. It's yeah. Oops, all Kangs. It's uh, just the conference of Kangs. You know, I had a problem—not a problem with the tone, but like like you said earlier, it it was a little all over the place. And at a certain point, I was like, "Do I like this?" And then after a while, I was like, "You know what? It's fun. I'm enjoying this. It's a big over the top, you know, running around in front of green screens the entire time, action, you know, battle." And after I think the second half of the film, I liked much more than the first half of the film. But it's, but the second half, I was just settled into what it was. And I was I enjoyed the action bits, and I think the more Kang was involved, the more I enjoyed it. He doesn't really come in until by the second half of the film. Yeah, like you get a tease of him in the sort of prologue, which I don't know why they put the Marvel Studios logo ahead of that instead yeah. of in between. That was just a weird structural thing that I thought was yeah. curious. But anyway, I I ultimately didn't love this. Mm-hmm. I wanted to more than I did. I I I liked the campiness, but I felt like sometimes they pulled back a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I, I love just like it's just bizarre characters like playing on the idea of being in an entirely different universe where things worked differently. And there's, you know, snail creatures and like flying right. manta ray things. And the sky is like pink or purple, depending on where you are. And I think that stuff was fun. It looked kind of like TV budget for what it was. Like it didn't look spectacular. Visually, I don't, I don't know. It was very green screeny, and the whole time I found myself, and this is just me imprinting. I have no indication this isn't the thing, but I found myself thinking, man, how much did Michael Douglas hate making this movie? Because you know, this is not the Hollywood he grew up in. Yeah, no. And certainly. the whole time he's just like he's standing over the green screen talking to tennis balls, and I can imagine he has he having much fun. But I think part of it was I really like the cast. I th- you know, I think Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer are great as their characters, and I think Evangeline Lilly and Paul Rudd are, are fun as Scott and Hope, and I thought Jonathan Majors was terrific as Kang. And I liked Cassie. Catherine Newton was Cassie. She was really good, too. So I thought the cast was winning. 
And by the time I got to the second half of the movie, I was like, you know what? This is, it is a lot of CG characters battling each other, which is ultimately like if Marvel Studios has a big problem, it's that a lot of their movies just evolve into giant CG character battles. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Kang has to seem incredibly dangerous, right? In order Mm -hmm. to make him, people worry about him facing the Avengers. And it wasn't until the, towards the very end when his plan to escape the quantum room was foiled and he basically leaves his ship and comes out onto the battlefield and just starts destroying all of the freedom fighters. And I thought, oh, there's Kang. Like, that was the first time in the movie I really thought, that's Kang the Conqueror. Like, the guy who, you know, loves more than anything to conquer and kill and destroy. And he just comes out with his gauntlet blasters and just starts wrecking everybody. And I was like, ooh, okay. I really like the scene where Janet is helping him, you know, rebuild his uh, his ship. Mm-hmm. And she touches the quantum drive or whatever, yeah. the, the multiverse uh, drive. And that gives her this flash of all the things he's done in the past. And, and like some of the stuff that he's going to do later in the film, like we, yeah. we see the sort of like stuff from the third act in there. Yeah. But with the idea that he's done this over and over again in other places, other dimensions and realities. And when he sees that look on her face and because it's not a subtle look that she gives, she's like, oh, my God. But like he has that look of recognition and he's Mm -hmm. like, oh, no, you saw, didn't you? And he just has this great intensity about him. He does have the feeling of a character that is like three, four steps ahead. Yeah. Of everyone else, he has this great menace and, and intelligence about him. But also, yeah, that physical, like, stomping on, you know, Scott and, like, the the brawl at the end. Feels like a physical and a tactical threat. Yeah. It's like if Booster Gold was more competent, you know? <laughs> like, he right. has access to hundreds and thousands of years of technology and technology from different dimensions as well, different timelines. And so that really works. But that's sort of like coalesced in this movie that's kind of honey i shrunk the kids and so there's there's this like i said like a tug of war between the the two things and the tones and stuff and i think if it were a lesser performer as kang you'd be like Mm -hmm. this dumbass like he's he's allowing these guys with the blue tube heads (laughs) you know march everybody around and they're completely incompetent and you know i wish there was a little bit more of like I wish they stressed a little bit more of how stuck he is. Like he, he's only he is only one man in this big universe. Kang, yeah, Kang, mm-hmm. and he's only one man running this empire, and he has to deal with whatever lackeys he can get scrounge right. up from this sort of weird, you know, it's kind of a like a ragtag society of people from different places i guess like we don't really know where all these people it it feels like they're all kind of like shipwrecked here from other places which is kind of interesting yeah that was not explored at all who were these people and how did they get there i mean bill murray's character we'll (laughs) get into that but like bill murray's character talks about he's like i'm i guess i'm human but not technically like i'm kind of like you but i'm not but we don't know where he's from or if he like was he born in the quantum realm or you know are these people cast offs from other places and right. but it, it, it does certainly feel like this weird society this melting pot of <laughs> strange bizarre creatures as well as fairly familiar kinds of ones i was okay with the idea of it being this sort of sub universe so it's just another universe it's just that it's in the quantum realm so the creatures or the people from are just people who are from that. i didn't think too hard about it because 
You can't. <laughs> the movie didn't really want you to, so that was fine. I just right. was like, okay, these are just another, it's like an alien world. It's just a, a tiny one. What I liked the most about it was I've been desperate for these Marvel films to start feeling like Marvel films again. And what I mean is, you know, from Iron Man to Endgame, you had this fairly revolutionary thing that Marvel did where they created this shared universe that was all leading to a certain point and everything was sort of pointing that way for good or for bad. And it all felt like it was serving that meta story, right? This giant thing that was happening. Right. And then after Endgame, it has felt lost and unmoored. And that's partially because it's spread out over films and TV shows and partially because almost all the main characters have left. But, you know, if you look back at the basically uh, phase four, I mean, it's Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Internals, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Thor, and Wakanda Forever. It's rough for the most part. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's things in there I like for sure, but for the most part, I'll take it on average. That's a rough. Uh, yeah, I've had fun with each of those, except maybe Eternals. They're not really fun to be had with Eternals, but they're they neat ideas in it, certainly. And it's it's very different, which is, you know, that's worth something. But I have been sort of disappointed with phase four and phase five doesn't feel like much of a departure from that. Oh, interesting. Cause I thought it was, I thought it felt like, Oh, now we're finally setting up this big Marvel world again. Okay. But that could also be my wishful thinking, or maybe it's just that we finally have seen Kang that it just has felt like the unmoored feeling at Marvel is, is maybe coming back together again. And, and I know people will say, well, it's fine. The movies should exist on their own and, and they should, but that's not what Marvel does. It's, it's like, I'm trying to deal with what Marvel purports to be, which is this giant cinematic shared universe. And, you know, the always pointing towards Thanos was even when Ultron was the villain or Loki, it was always still pointing a certain way. And it still felt, it felt that way as opposed to, before, you know, the last couple of years where it's just like, you know, random sort of unimpressive Marvel movie comes out and it was sort of like fine, but nothing, you know, mm-hmm. didn't feel like I was going anywhere. So I liked that bit of it. I liked, I liked now being excited about Kang and being excited about where this was all going again. A couple of things and I'm saving Modoc, because I want to talk about Modoc as a whole thing. But sure, there was a couple of moments I thought were partially wasted moments, and this is uh, again could just be m- my thinking while the movie is going on. But two things that stood out to me: one was this is totally a minor thing, and just something I thought of while I was watching it. But you know, one of the things about Ant Man is he's a huge Captain America fan, right? He's always talking about Captain America, even in this movie. He's mentioned a few times, mm-hmm. and then in the course of the battle with Kang's army. You know, he goes to giant man size. He's, he's trying to stop Kang's ship from taking off. And he goes, he goes up to giant man size and he rips off the top of a building, one of his futuristic buildings to use as a shield to block the, sh- the incoming fire from Kang's cannons. And at that point, he's basically using a shield. And I thought right? for sure yeah. he, there would be some sort of Captain America reference there because he's so idolizes him. And he's finally, you know, he's basically using Captain America's signature weapon there. Mm-hmm. And, even and so he sort takes of, the shield and he blocks the shots and he, sh- and he uses it to smash the ship. And I thought for sure he would say something about Cap, but he didn't. I thought that was a, sort of a wasted button on all those Captain America jokes. Because they sort of, they tee that up earlier. They, yeah. You know, when they're talking about how he's, no, I wasn't there to fight Captain America. I was there to fight with Captain America. I'm not right. crazy. And so, yeah. I thought for sure he'd be like, that's how Cap would do it or something like that. I thought right. there was some sort of line from Ant-Man about that. And the other thing was that... Throughout the film, Kang kept saying, they banished me. They banished right. me. Very pointedly, you know, he, they always say, they banished me. And I kept waiting for a resolution on who they were. Who knows who they were? It could have been the other Kangs. It could have been anyone. But I thought for sure, at some point, we would find out who they were. And we never do. I thought maybe he would shout out Richards. That's what I was expecting. 
my inference was that it was the like Council of Kangs. Yeah, after the the shot, but the whole time I'm like, is he going to say Richards? Because they kept making a point of not saying who banished him mm-hmm. and hitting that line all the time. They banished me. They banished me. And I was like, who is they? And they never said they. Like, is it the Illuminati? Is it right? You know, the Fantastic Four. So I thought that was a wasted kind of setup than the film that they never really paid off on. I thought that they were maybe leading to like Kang isn't Kang in every universe. He's Reed. Right. Like I know in, you know, in the comics, he's a descendant. They've never officially said yes, but his name is Nathaniel Richards, which in the post credit sequence seems to have been thrown out the window. But in the comics, he's Nathaniel Richards. The implication being he's a descendant of Reed, but they've never fully you know, a hundred percent with time travel and stuff. You know, so who knows? I mean, I think most people consider him to be a Richards, but mm-hmm. you know, this is now the Marvel cinematic universe and things are different. I thought like, wouldn't that be like a cool way to introduce who the like Reed prime is, go- is going to be like who the actor is going to be. It's, oh, it's going to be Jonathan majors is going to be right. Reed. That'd been interesting. And that would be cool if you, it was like Reed versus, and, and like, I was like, Oh, maybe it's the council, like the, the idea from the uh, Hickman run of right. uh, the, council sort of of Reeds. the council of reads. And it's like, just sort of combining it. They're doing like a, a slight twist on what's gone before. So I, yeah. Yeah. So it was, I, I was a bummer. I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. I thought, I thought that was going to be like a big payoff moment. It never came. Let's talk about Modoc. So I, I'd heard, Long-time listeners know I try to avoid trailers for these movies because they give yeah, away so much information. Yeah, I was curious about this. If I saw the first one, I didn't. See, I didn't see the, any any further trailers. The problem is, since the pandemic, all the really good movie theaters in LA have closed, so I'm I'm been forced to see all my movies at AMC. <laughs> AMC shows 45 minutes show trailers, so yeah. I can't avoid them anymore for, until until ArcLight reopens again and, and their their three trailer policy. I can't avoid them anyway. I don't know if Modoc showed up in the trailers. I just heard heard he was in the film. You see the um with the mask down. Okay. And I know they did that cartoon with Patton Oswalt. So I didn't know yes. if it was going to be related to that or not. I didn't know Patton Oswalt was going to be the voice. I didn't know. I just knew, knew he was in this movie. So the whole time I'm like kind of not wincing but waiting. Because Modoc is a concept that comic readers love. But mm-hmm. I didn't know how that cell was going to go with people in the theater. And in my theater, I saw it daytime on a Saturday. It was probably a half full. It was on like five screens. Other screens were, were sold out and packed. This was, this was not one of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he came on the screen and he had the mask down and how did you feel about that <laughs> people I, I thought okay well he looks like modok with the mask down you know he looks like it and then he is revealed to be cory stoll's character from the first film darren cross yeah the, the yellow jacket character uh, who had been squ- you know in the first film he got he gets sort of body mangled squished into like a into a, a blob of humanity and sent to the quantum realm. So, and then they rebuilt him, and then you see his butt. <laughs> um, my audience fucking loved Modok. Okay, interesting. I think at first they were they didn't know what to make of it, but then after they sort of wrapped their brains around this his weird face, they they loved every Modok joke. They loved every Modok appearance. They laughed at everything he did. He got more of a reaction than anything in the film. And then of course Marvel kills him off. Right. Of course they do. Of course they kill off every. <laughs> Great villain character. Yep. They can't help themselves. And they always paint themselves into a corner. They have to stop killing off all the villains that people love. People loved fucking Modoc in my theater. So a couple of other things before I get to my reaction to Modoc. Yeah. So I had seen him in the trailer with the mask. I'd seen before the trailer, like on Twitter, it was going around. They had like stills had leaked. Uh-huh. And it was like, oh, the bright red eyes and then the mask. And I was like, that's kind of like defeating the purpose of modok like you want to see like the crazy face but like right. i don't i i don't envy 
anybody having to design that for live action and mm-hmm. how that's going to play. The yep. other thing, in addition to that Patton Oswalt Modoc show, I don't know what actor portrayed him, but he is a prominent villain. And you see his origins in the Square Enix uh, Avengers game, mm. which they were like, they were really invested in, but it didn't do super well. No, it was, it was a bomb. But although I really like the way that that game handled Kamala Khan and mm. um, using her as like the audience surrogate going into that that story. Right. Anyways, so I was like, oh, and I, and I also knew that um, it was going to be Corey Stoll playing Modoc. That was a nice reveal. I didn't know. So yeah, so when that came around and then the mask comes up, that that did not work for me or my audience. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like you could hear a pin drop. Oh, really? Not to, you know the meme with Jonah Hill in the award show audience, like giving the the gesture to like, nope, that joke's not playing. Oh. That's how I felt when they kept bringing back when Modoc would keep appearing on screen. I was like, mm-hmm. cuz I saw it in the daytime too. It wasn't a full packed audience, but a lot of people there mm-hmm. and nothing. Interesting. Total opposite of mine. That effect, I thought, is it supposed to look like he's behind glass? I think they did a good job from, I, if you just looked at it, he looked like Modoc, Like the face, the kind of stretched face. I thought he looked a lot like Modoc in the comics. I mean, there's almost no good way to do that there's without no, it being like total right. CG. Because it looked like it was just, a, it was his face sort of photo manipulated. Yeah, it just, it, it looked like, oh, they stretched out his face. But it right. looked very, like, digital to me. Like, it looked very, I don't know. It, it didn't look like a physical thing. It looked like, it, it, it more like an, like an Armanzola effect. Uh-huh. You know, because, like, where that's like a TV screen. But right. this didn't feel like an organic creature to yeah. me. I'm glad they went for it because I was always, you know, Armanzola, similar to Modoc. I, I was kind of disappointed when they did that in the movie, but... You know, I don't know. I I thought it was I thought it worked. I thought it was funny. I thought anything that the the audience you know can latch on to. Maybe it's because there's a lot of kids in my audience, but those people were laughing their heads off whenever he showed up. And you know, the whole event. Um, I died in Avenger joke at the end was they loved. And I don't you know. There wasn't a ton of laughter at other jokes. This, this is almost the only stuff that got laughs was that was their thing. Okay, yeah. And like so, zero reaction to him. Zero reaction to Bill Murray. People react when he came on screen, but I think he was, since he was already in the trailer, it wasn't like, like a, a surprise. It was like people sort of, you, you could hear sort of excitement in the audience when he came on screen. His character was fine. I don't know why. He didn't really have anything to do, and he didn't play like a known Marvel character. So it was, I found myself wondering why this particular character. It felt to me kind of like, now it's, it was a media role, but like Mads Mikkelsen, like I feel like that, that was a waste of him as an actor. Yeah. In uh, Doctor Strange. I mean, he he, he was fine, but like, he, wouldn't it be great to see him as like Doctor Doom or like, like, won't save him for something like, you know, he could really sink his teeth into? Yeah, and, I, thought, I was like, well, what a weird, what a weird choice to pay one scene of this character, Lord Krylar, who I don't, you know, I don't right. know if it's who's, who's, a, who's a guy who maybe had a fling with Janet. And that's what was, was funny, like his sort of poking at Hank because, like, right. clearly they, you know, had a had a quantum realm fling while, you know, she was stuck down there, but still it was, it was an odd choice. The definition of a little fling. (laughs) And he gets thrown to a creature, you know, with uh, tentacles and you don't, you look, he's about to get eaten, but then it throws him away. I was like, Oh, that's going to be the after credits thing is Bill Murray's going to come back and do like a, like with a Goldblum in Ragnarok. And nope, that was it. (laughs) So Lord Kryler did appear in incredible Hulk 156, 1972. He was a character in the microverse. That's the that's like the Bill Mantlo stuff, I think. But that was it. 
that was the one appearance. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it was disappointing. It was disappointing. Yeah, because there, there was so much speculation as to, oh, what's Bill Murray going to be? Oh, is he going to be MODOK? Is, you know, right. and um, the same with uh, William Jackson Harper. They're like, right. oh, is, that's going to be Reed. That's, <laughs> you know. Right. He was fun. Quaz. Yeah, he was good. I think fan speculation at, at this point is off the charts. Right. It's impossible. It's at Any actor that's cast, suddenly they're playing Magneto, you know. So it's tough. I just felt like William Jackson Harper's character had a lot more to do and it was interesting and it was fun. Bill Murray's character was just kind of like a waste of his talent. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, Jeff Goldblum's character, when he played the, he played the games master, right? Yes, yeah. You know, big, important cosmic Marvel character and was funny and had a lot to do with the movie. This was like a, I know, I realize this is a cameo, but at least give cameo him as something more interesting than just, you know. Anyway, it was fine. It's, it's sort of it like, fine. it's sort of like, what if um, Lando Calrissian, but it's Bill Murray? That's, that's, that's basically what they were going for. And right. for some reason, the tension of his turn didn't hit for me. Like, right. oh, they're being friendly, but actually, like, literally, they're going for the, the Lando turn where he, you know, turns them into Kang. And I feel like it was missing a beat or something. And I don't know. There was a lot of meta commentary here on social justice and fighting for the little guy. Yeah. Through Cassie's character, but he was sort of the representation of the freedom fighter who once gets a taste of power and money, you know, switches allegiances pretty quickly. Sure. Yeah. But it just was like, okay, well, that was kind of a disappointment that he was just some random dude in a quantum burst, but whatever. It's fine. I would love to see Michael Douglas when they do the putting his hands in the goo, like, mm-hmm. What is that experience like for him as an actor? <laughs> I'm telling you. What I did just, you think about that? I was like, God, he hates this. Yeah, that was my my thinking. Is it a, a lot of the biggest reactions from my audience was when he'd be like, shit, when he'd see something like, yeah. oh, shit, like he looks like broccoli. Well, the thing is, like, he's great. You know, he's an old school movie star and so is Michelle Pfeiffer. And I think they're terrific. I think it's funny that, you know, I've, I've almost zero experience with Hope Van Dyne as a character in the comics. I just I can't even think of any story I've read with her in it. So yeah. every time I would see Hope on screen, I would just my brain would just say Janet because right. she looked like she had the short Janet hair and you know she's the Wasp. So the whole time I'm just it's just weird that they went with Scott and Hope instead of Hank and Janet. And I get maybe they're trying to avoid any weirdness with Hank's character, but it just That's seems a bizarre, bizarre choice to me. Unless they also didn't want to recreate Tony Stark, I guess. But still, I don't know if it was a brief to you know because it started with Edgar Wright. Yeah, if it was to him, hey, we want to use Scott, or if he was like, hey, what if we use Scott and then we can do this heist thing? Right. Because I, I get the appeal of that. Right. You know, they kind of touch on it here when he has to break in and get the core of the, the engine, engine, the, the, the MacGuffin ship. of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And there's a um, a great podcast about the um, about emergence mm-hmm. on Radiolab and the idea of ants sort of coalescing into how the many turn into sort of the basically what they did with the multiple Scots. Right. I thought it was like a cute idea and it was short enough that it didn't outstay its welcome. I really liked actually when they hinted at something going on with Hank's, what's it called? His uh, hearing aid. His hearing aid, yeah. yeah. And then that being the the ants, because they did show the ants with the helmets going into the, getting sucked in the yeah, vortex in the, the beginning. Their, their, their little house breaking. I like that moment. The triumphant moment of Hank sort of saving the day with his ants was fun. That was some of my favorite stuff, actually. Yeah, when when he says, and they experienced lifetimes, like like hundreds of centuries or something, uh, and they sort of evolved, and now they're super intelligent. It's not just that they can talk, and it's rudimentary stuff. It's right. like they actually formed a society, and that was pretty cool. I, I like that. 
Yeah, he got to have his triumphant walk in while the ants, you know, invaded, took out Kang's army. And it, it you know, circles the story back around to Ant-Man, you know, which is something that, other than him getting tiny, is is uh, not really part of the character. He doesn't fly around in an ant or anything. Mm-hmm. There was a certain point in the middle where I was like, okay, we're just in this giant CG world, giant CG creatures fighting each other. But then after a certain point, I just sort of, I don't say gave into it, but I, I, I sort of just reset my mind like this is fun the cast is fun kang is terrific you know it's not comics kang but it's pretty close his costume was almost spot on other than not having a mask it's kind of crazy how comics accurate they could be to it without it looking completely ridiculous it may have helped that he was in a lot of shadow yeah but he was wearing green and purple in the proper and it wasn't places. just green and purple it's like shiny like there's like sort of like weird iridescent lights coming off of it it was kind of cool looking yeah. But also, if you do that wrong, you light it wrong, it totally looks Power Rangers, you know? And it, right. It's, it's all about lighting. Want. Yeah. You know, you mentioned this earlier, but, you know, it comes down a little bit to a fist fight between Scott and Kang. And I th- when it started, I was like, well, Kang better win this fight. <laughs> like, right. Because that was, the, that was the high wire act they were on. Is that Again, like I said, the, the heroes have to win, but also the villain has to not lose because he's the major villain. It'd be like if Thanos had shown up in the first Ant-Man movie and Ant-Man had beat him. They'd be like, well... Why am I yeah. worried about him? It's like what Kang later. says in the what Kang says in the movies. He's like, "You talk to ants, <laughs> like <laughs> like I'm Kang." And I thought maybe like, "Oh, is this going to be like? Are they going to switch this up where like this is the weak Kang and he right. does get killed?" But then like you find out there are so much worse Kangs out there. It's right. it's not the it's not the Kang from Loki. It's not the Kang from this thing. It's another Kang. I still thought this Kang was formidable. It was just you know a combination of several people taking him down. It was sort of like. A, he gets sucked into a, like, a further quantum realm or something. Right. But, okay, so yeah, so you saw the movie before I did, so I texted you and I, on the way to the theater, and I was like, is it, tell me about the post-credit sequence, and you said there's a mid-credits and there's a post-credits. So yep. mid-credits, almost everyone stayed. You know, it's funny, because even after all these years, mostly people will start leaving as soon as the movie ends, even though they know that there's a mid-credit sequence. But most it was weird. My, Like, the ushers at my theater were, like, coming down and looking to see if, and I was like, you, you know how this works. I'm <laughs> hanging out. I'm like, so the, the mid-credit sequence was the Council of Kangs led by Amortis and Ramatut. Ramatut. And a shaved head Kang who seemed almost more like the comics Kang who was sort of, you know, brash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were talking about how the the one who was, was trapped was not able to escape. I thought it was a great sequence. It allowed Jonathan Majors to play a bunch of different kinds of versions of the character. I was like, he's having fun. I enjoyed it particularly for that. And I liked how sort of Ramata and the, these are some crazy looking costumes. These are ones where you don't want that to be the main, you know, <laughs> costume. Like right. that's cool that it's on the side. And like I, I do like how campy it is. And that that's yeah. And that's we pull good. back to reveal a Star Wars Senate Council sort of chamber. There's just the thousands of Kangs. Right. It's, it's like, a, like a gladiator Kangs. arena. Like it's and they're and they're and they're, and they're, they're having a ball. I mean, they were having a party and they're like barking. They're like, like one, one of them's like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's curious. I wonder if that means the Avengers are going to have to face the entire Kang population and not just one mega Kang, but we'll see. I liked Kang a lot. You know, our iFanboy love of Kang is, is well documented. One of our favorite villains in all of comics. And I thought they did him right. I thought they, it wasn't exactly the Kang, but I thought it was close enough and enjoyable enough. And they have a great actor playing him. And I'm looking forward to see, because with the, various versions of Kangs out there, you have no idea what to expect going forward with him. Right. So I think it's me- I think it's an interesting choice. I think in terms of, of a movie and like in terms of a story, one really competent scary person 
is scarier than a lot. Yes. Because a lot just becomes a hooting, hollering mob, and you think of them as dumb. Right. If it's one guy, that's scarier. So I'm curious to see where they go. There's an alpha king, like I mentioned. Yeah, there's got to be. Like the the most dangerous king, you know, reveals himself. Like who, like, absorbs all the other ones. Right. That's. So then there was a post-credit sequence, which I had no idea what to expect after that. And that one it was the one that was both interesting and, I don't want to say disappointing, but... I know where you're coming from on that, yeah. In the film, they mentioned the you know the multiverse and the, and the variants and the... Um, what, what's the word they use for the, the people that are... Is it variants? Yeah. So the, they, he mentions that. Then in the post-credit sequence, we, we flash back into the past. It looked like it was the 1800s. They may have said the date. I didn't. I don't remember. And we see it was like William Timely or something. I know his last name was Timely. I don't remember the first name of the character, but it's like similar to like the traveling, you know, hucksters that would go through towns and put on shows for the townspeople. And it's it's Victor Timely. Timely is of course the name that Marvel Comics was before it was Marvel. This seems to in- imply this was the origin of Kang. Is as this sort of he's talking about the nature of time and time. And, you know, that's his sort of huckster presentation. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, okay, so this is. I guess they're saying this is the original King. Who knows if it is or not. But then we pull back to see that Loki, which was, I was genuinely shocked to see Loki on the big screen again. Yeah. And then. Mobius M. Mobius. <laughs> Owen Wilson. <laughs> Owen Wilson's character from the Loki show were there. And I just, this is where it starts getting real creaky for me is when, I know they want to integrate all these things together. And I know yep. Kamala Khan's going to be in the Marvel's movie. But like, once you start making like, oh, if you didn't watch that Loki show, you have no idea what the fuck's going on. Then that's where it starts getting dangerous for me. And I'm sure most people have watched it. Maybe. Most is hard because you're talking about. Yeah, you're, you're right. Well, people will tend to go to the movies more than they'll, at least for these things, than they'll watch the shows. I mean, I know people who go to these movies and never seen a Marvel show. I can only imagine that was totally confusing. I had the for same people. reaction too. I was like, oh, that's neat. And then I was like, ah, but I don't want to be like hypothetically ticked off at something that for somebody else, like I don't, I mean, I saw it. I know what it means. Right. So like, I don't want to, I don't want that to color my perception of it. I, but I know, I know where you're coming. I get where you're coming from. I wasn't annoyed by it, but I think my questioning has several factors. One is possibly decoupling Kang from the Fantastic Four to. I didn't really like the Loki show all that much, so I wasn't didn't make me super excited. Three, I don't want people. This is what you said not to do, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I don't want mm-hmm. people to have to watch Loki season two to fully grasp what's going on with Kang. You know, they should just be able to do it for watching the movies. And for you know, the, the, sort of the practical thing with that is like you don't want them to output character development to other things right. so that they don't have to do it in the movies. Right, exactly. It's like, oh, if you want to know about Kang, you got to watch Loki, his uh, motivations. Like, no, you got to tell me those in the movie. Which is a criticism of scene of like Star Wars stuff. Like, don't say I have to read this novel or this comic in right. order to appreciate what's going on or the TV show. Don't tell me to watch that in order for something to land huge in a movie. Right. Which I think is fair. I think that's a fair criticism. It's cheating a little bit. Then again, the other thing is there has never been anything like this before. Oh, for where sure. It's been so huge and so integrated. Even we haven't seen it because the first, you know, several years of Marvel was just films. Right. And we haven't really seen an integration involving films and TV shows and films. and t- Like this is unprecedented in the annals of entertainment. So we haven't seen it work or really not work yet. Because again, this is like the first time 
since Endgame, where they're sort of rebuilding the shared universe as a forward momentum story point. The Phase 4 films almost all take place on their own, which is fine, but they weren't about building a larger story. And then you got to see, how do they do it with the Marvels? Because you have a character who's introduced in the TV shows, had her own setup there, and how much of that is going to be on screen? Is there going to be enough there for the person in the audience who hasn't seen that stuff? Exactly. So it's got to be, it's a delicate balance of not recapping everything that people who've seen the show have already seen, but also you have to, you have to. Or it's actually, it's, it's two, it's, it's Kamala and it's uh, Photon and it's uh, Monica Monica Rambeau, Rambeau, who was in uh, WandaVision. Although she was hardly in it as a superhero, so that's probably easier. And we saw her younger, but we just haven't seen. In the original Captain Marvel. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see just from a, an academic point of view, how they pull this off or don't pull this off. But I did find myself coming out of Ant-Man ultimately having had a good time and excited for the future, which is something that I couldn't really say about most of the phase four Marvel films. Like the ones that I enjoyed, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, although Doctor Strange, I I think about hardly ever at all. (laughs) Those existed almost entirely on their own to sort of fan service things that happened in the past. Whereas, you know, Black Widow was sort of its own thing and taking place in the past. Shang-Chi was off as its own island. Eternals was what it was. Thor was just a mess. And so none of these things really propelled the whole meta story forward. This, so this was like the first one. And I, I, I had fun coming out of it. I was excited about the future and I wanted to see another Marvel movie after. So if, I guess that means it worked for me. I had a good time with it. I always have a good time with these. And a lot of it is the academic interest in it. Like, because yeah, it's, it's so much unprecedented storytelling stuff. And it's on such a grand stage. That's the other thing is like, usually when you're talking about weird storytelling experiments, it's something very small. It's like a podcast, you know, back right. in the day. And now it's like, it's, this is the biggest, you know, entertainment there is. And it's, crazy it's you know it's just it's 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 always fun watching them build the plane while they're still in the air <laughs> paul i'm asking you to open your heart to modok i really wanted to <laughs> just open it let it in, let him in let Corey stole in and find enlightenment i was just like oh my god it is spy kids it's like that's it's so <laughs> so we have I don't even, I'm so off on what's coming out, what's not coming out. So we got the Marvels and we've got Guardians of the Galaxy Part 3. Right. I think are the next pressing issues. What's coming up in our special edition land for iFanboy? Here we go. We have Shazam! Fury of the Gods comes out in a month or so. There should be some coverage of that somewhere. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 comes out in May. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse comes out in June. The Flash is also in June. Blue Beetle supposedly in August, but I haven't seen nothing about that movie anywhere. No. Yeah, nowhere. Nothing. The Marvels in November, Aquaman in December. So, you know, there's still quite a few films. I'm just skipping over Craven the Hunter because we have not covered any of the (laughs) Sony Spider-Man films. I can't imagine we're going to start. You know, the Spider-Verse is Sony. Well, you know what I mean. The live action. Live action. Weird. We have the rights to the villains. You're not hyped for Madam Web? Oh gosh, what a mess. What a mess. <laughs> There's still quite a few coming out, and I'm excited. I'm very interested in The Flash. I'm very interested in The Marvels. I'm less interested in Guardians because I'm not a big fan of those movies, but a lot of people are. I love them. I'm very excited. I like the first Shazam movie. I'm not super excited, only because, again, does it matter, really? Because they're just re- sort of rebooting all the DC movies anyway. Right. And it's like, should that matter? It's it like shouldn't. it could still be fun, but it's, yeah, there is but a it weird, does. yeah, it's a thing like hanging us, over who, it. Who do this 
you know, like what we do. It, it's it's a consideration. I like the first Shazam movie. I'm looking forward to seeing this one. At the end of the day, it's got to be a fun experience on its own. But at the same time, you have that niggling feeling in the back of your mind going, well, you know, this is all going away anyway. But whatever. It doesn't matter. I am mostly excited to see what weird version of Philadelphia exists in that <laughs> movie because it was very strange in the first one. I know. In the first one, almost nobody flipped the car over. Right. <laughs> no greased poles. That's how we get you. <laughs> I want to see a scene in the new one where he tries to climb a pole, but he can't because it's greased. His school is in the middle of the Schuylkill River. <laughs> I'm just saying. Based on the train stops, I think it's in the middle of the Schuylkill. All right. So that was Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And we learned in the credit sequence that you can't spell Quantumania without Ant-Man. And that blew my mind. <laughs> it did. I was like, oh. So with the letters coming, go, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I know you don't like to rate them. I'm going to give this one um, ultimately 3.9 stars out of five. 3.9 out of 5. Okay. Yeah. I actually already did rate this because I'm back on Letterboxd. Oh. I gave this 1.5 stars. One and a half stars. I was, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Is that worse than we rated Black Adam? Maybe. Paul. Paul. This is better than Black Adam. The rest of the MCU movies are like ruining the curve <laughs> for Paul that. Montgomery. Black Adam I'm rating on a, that's, Yeah. Paul Montgomery. Maybe a two. I don't know. Jeez. Direct all your e emails to Paul Montgomery. Yep. Not to me. All right. Well, that, that was fun. I enjoyed talking to you about that movie. We'll be back, as I said, for the next film release, which I think I said was Shazam. Yes, it is. And until then, you can listen to the Pick of the Week show every week where we talk about the week's comics. And you can listen to our various other releases throughout the month. Months We have four or five shows a month. And uh, we thank everyone who supports us at patreon.com slash ifanboy who allow those shows to happen. And until then, I am Connor. I'm Paul. See you next time. <laughs> and I know what a scene you were learning in. Was there something that made you come back again?